If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Hey, what's up, folks? Uh, My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad Podcast. Um, You know, I started season three, been last week, and, you know, one of the things I want to focus on this this season are, are sort of controversial topics. So, vaccines is kind of the thing that we're on right now, and, um... My guest today uh, is Dr. Tara Smith. Uh, She's a professor of epidemiology at Kent State University College of Public Health. Um, She previously spent nine years in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Uh, She directed the college's Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases and attained the rank of associate professor with tenure. Uh, She also completed her postdoctoral training in molecular epidemiology at the University of Michigan prior to beginning her professorship at the University of Iowa. She obtained her PhD at the University of Toledo investigating the pathogenesis of the group A streptococcus and her BS in biology from Yale University. So she knows her stuff, guys. And um, this is really, really important because, because, you know, there are a lot of vaccine preventable diseases out there that are making a comeback. And, and people get sick. And in some cases, people are dying. Um, you know, we're at this point in time, uh, we're sort of in the second week of January, and there's already been over 2000 deaths from the flu alone in the United States. And, you know, it's frustrating for me because I'm a parent to a child who has a compromised immune system. And, and he relies on herd immunity in order to, uh, stay safe from these types of things. Um, you know, and, and there, there's people who are fighting cancer and are on chemo or people with HIV uh, or AIDS and uh, j- just people in general, the, the very old, the very young, uh, people with with compromised immune systems f- for whatever reason are, are vulnerable 
Um, and, and so vaccines are so important. And, and there is so much misinformation out there that, you know, I, I want to use my platform to help get you the facts. I know that I'm not going to reach everyone. Uh, I know that there are some people out there that are just in way too deep in, in their views. And, and that's, I've accepted that at this point. But uh, maybe we can reach, maybe we can help those of you out there who are looking for answers, who are looking for guidance. And uh, what I'm going to do is, is, um, is Dr. Smith and I are going to have a conversation about uh, vaccines and vaccine-preventable diseases so that you can make an informed decision about what's best for you and your family. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in. Please share this with anyone you think will benefit from it. Um, I will go ahead and uh, uh, play the interview for you in its entirety following this commercial break, so please stay tuned. The Autism Dead is brought to you by Mightier. Mightier is an amazing program out of Harvard Medical and Boston Children's that utilizes video games in a wrist strap heart rate monitor to teach your kids to emotionally self-regulate. So if you are an autism parent like I am, that means fewer meltdowns. Fewer meltdowns means reduced parental stress and improved quality of life for your entire family. Uh, I've been using it with my son for over a year. It's absolutely fantastic. The games are fun. They're engaging. He loves it. Uh, doesn't even realize that he's learning while he's doing it. And then he naturally applies it to the rest of his life. It's basically biofeedback for kids. So it does work for any child. Uh, but due to the nature of, of autism, kids on the spectrum tend to have a more difficult time with emotional self-regulation. And so Mightier has a, has a very profound impact on that. So if you want more information, including how to get a free 30-day trial, visit theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. That's theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. The Autism Dad is brought to you by ND Renegade. ND Renegade is a clothing and apparel brand that celebrates neurodiversity. These are not your typical autism puzzle piece tees. Their designs are contemporary and cool. Uh, they have neuro cool tees, kick-ass autism mom tees, rock and roll, and motorcycle themed tees. You can check out ND Renegade at ndrenegade.com. And for my listeners, they're kindly giving a discount code of 20% off. So use code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to receive 20% off your entire order. Grab a neurodiversity tee today. Again, that's ndrenegade.com. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD to save 20% off your entire order. Okay, uh, and we're back. And as I mentioned in the intro, um, Dr. Tara Smith is is here today to talk about. Um, I guess we're still on the topic of vaccines and and some of the vaccine preventable diseases and things along those lines. Because I'm trying to get different perspectives from different professionals so that we can uh, bring everybody the facts so that they can make informed decisions about what's best for themselves and their family. So, uh, Tara, thank you very much for uh, coming onto the show and. Um, if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of explain some of your background and expertise in this, uh, in this area? Sure. Uh, so I have a bachelor's in biology and a PhD in microbiology, and then I did postdoctoral training in infectious disease epidemiology and have worked as a professor of epidemiology since 2005. So I have a, a wet lab. My main work actually is on the epidemiology of Staphylococcus aureus and understanding antibiotic resistance. But I've really long been interested in kind of science denial and why people don't accept science. Uh, when I was working on my PhD, I was had recently moved back to Ohio, which is my home state. And it was the era that they were trying to put intelligent design into Ohio's curriculum, which is this idea that 
biology is too complicated, so God must have designed us rather than we just evolved. So I, I got started fighting that in about uh, 1998 or so. And then as I moved through my professional career, I saw other aspects where people just did not accept science. I've had a long time blog and I've talked about HIV denial on there for a long time, which amazingly is something that still exists. People that don't believe that HIV is the cause of AIDS. And then of course, um, becoming a parent and seeing what has happened with vaccines over the last two decades and having that in my, my background as an understanding of infectious diseases, that has been something that I've worked on over the past, you know, really 20 years since I had my first daughter, was trying to understand why people fear vaccines and countering some of the misinformation that is out there about vaccines and really trying to get people good, accurate information about both vaccines and vaccine preventable diseases. That's a lot of experience and... <laughs> And, and it, it is, it's, it's, we live in an era, especially we'll just say the last few years where, mm. where science and fact and medicine don't seem to mean anything anymore. Mm. And, and, and that sort of throws my world into chaos <laughs> because, right. because if we don't have, fa if we don't have accepted facts and science is how we get those facts, then, then what do we have? It, it's all right. conspiracy theory and misinformation and, and, uh, and things like that. And so, so, so then people make decisions based on that. And then we have outbreaks of measles and whooping cough, uh, and, and, and all these things that are, that are preventable that we're allowing to come back because we're making choices based on nonsense, really. Um, Absolutely. so, so can you, can you give just sort of a basic, um, explanation for, for what vaccines are and how they're supposed to work? Sure. So there's a lot of different types of vaccines, but in general, what they do is they train your body to recognize these pathogens. So for example, with measles, so um, the MMR vaccine, which protects against measles, mumps, and rubella, those are live vaccines. So they are injected into your body, they replicate in your body, but rather than being the pathogens that the wild type ones are, the ones that you would actually get sick with, all those vaccines, all those viruses have been modified so that they only cause a mild response in your body. Um, you can get fevers. Sometimes you can get rash even from the measles part of it, but it's not like an actual measles case. It doesn't make you as sick. It doesn't put you at risk of complications like pneumonia and severe diarrhea um, and things like that from the measles um, infection. So what it does is that once your body sees those once, then you have memory against those. Your immune system remembers them. So the next time you're exposed to them, instead of taking a couple weeks to mount an immune response, it's very quick, it's almost immediate, so that you don't get sick with them. Um, your body basically mounts defenses so that the virus can't replicate in your body so that you're protected against the, the nasty pathogens that are out there. So then, so I guess one of the things that, that a lot of people that that I hear all the time um, in conversations about this is, you know, people are afraid that, you know, when they get the MMR that they're, um, you know, shedding virus and they're able to mm -hmm. spread measles uh, because they're contagious after they get the vaccine. Is there any truth to that or is, or, or is it? Not really for the MMR. So it's, it's kind of a theoretical concern, but, 
for the MMR viruses, I think there's been maybe one case ever documented or so of, of someone um, shedding that the, the measles virus from the vaccine. Um, there are some that are live and can be shed like rotavirus. So rotavirus is a live vaccine. Um, it's not given in an injected version, it's given orally. So if somebody does have that uh, in their feces, they could potentially transmit that to somebody else if, if somebody's doing a diaper change and doesn't wash their hands and then <laughs> their contaminated hands end yeah. up on, you know, contaminating Anywhere. somebody else's food or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's also how the oral polio vaccine can be, can be shed and transmitted from person to person. But uh, the oral polio vaccine is not one we have used in the United States for about two decades. Um, so some of them do have potential shedding concerns, but the ones that people usually are concerned about, like the MMR, and I see a lot of that about flu vaccines. Mm -hmm. Flu vaccine also, the shot is killed. It can't shed. It's not live. Um, so I see a lot of misinformation about that and a lot of um, kind of hand-wringing and misinformation about what sheds and what doesn't, because really there's not much of a risk at all from from shedding of vaccines. Yeah, you mentioned the the flu shot. When I had uh, I mentioned I talked to uh, Doctor Marino from University Hospitals last mm -hmm. week, and and he was saying part of the misconception with the flu shot is that when people get the flu shot, there's there's a there's a span of time before it really takes effect, right? Like mm. there's a there's a that period of time where you're exposed to the cold and the flu and everything else in that period of time, and a lot of people would would end up getting it anyways, and then they associate mm. it with I just got the flu shot and I got sick and, right. and it's, it's, it's sort of one of those things where, where, uh, what correlation is noise causation, right? It's really uh -huh. the other way around. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know really what the flu is. Yeah. I mean, I see people describing it. Oh, I have the flu and I've been vomiting and, you know, have diarrhea. That, that, that's not the flu. That's probably norovirus, you yeah. know, and are they, they have a bad cold and think that's just the flu. So, you know, unless people go out and get tested and confirm that, yes, they are positive for one of the influenza viruses that are circulating, you know, you can't be sure that you had the flu, you know, even if you were, were vaccinated and in kind of that window where the, the vaccine is working, but you're not yet protected. And, and when you have the, the true flu, you know, you have the flu. There, there's, right. no, there's no misunderstanding <laughs> that. Um, yep. just, just as like I had mentioned before we started the show that, that, uh, I was a paramedic for a long time and you see a lot of those things. And, you know, I had always thought that the flu was the stomach bug, you know, mm -hmm. where you would puke or whatever. Um, but it's actually more, it, it's upper respiratory and, and mm -hmm. it, it is awful. You know I mean? Right. You, you, you don't want the flu if you can at all avoid it, especially the older, uh, generation, the people who are uh, immunocompromised, people living with with uh, HIV or um, chemo patients, things like that. It's 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 very very dangerous. And I think I was looking at it, and we're twenty three hundred deaths already this year, or, or for this flu season. Yeah, it's already been pretty nasty, and and more pediatric deaths than we saw at this point in time last year. So, not a good season. So, so how does herd immunity play a role in this? So the more people, because one of the things that people like to say who are sort of anti-vaccine um, is that, uh, you know, herd immunity doesn't work. And, and mm. the proof is that we have these outbreaks of measles and that mm. the outbreaks of measles are actually caused by the people who get the measles vaccine. 
Right. And, and, and it's just sort of like, I, I don't understand. I don't understand the logic in that. Right. Well, well there, I think there people no have logic. a mis. Yeah, I think people have some of a misunderstanding of herd immunity. Um, you know, it, it is put in the the media and, and things like that pretty frequently that you have to have about ninety five percent of the population vaccinated to achieve herd immunity to measles, which is true. Um, but herd immunity is not an all or nothing phenomenon. It's not like if you have 94% of the population vaccinated, right. then you're going to have, you know, massive outbreaks of measles just all of a sudden like that. That's not how it works. It's, it's, um, you know, really kind of a, a gambling phenomenon that the more people you have vaccinated for an infection, the less likely it will be to spread in a population. So even with something like flu, um, so the level of immunity you need in a population is based on how transmissible that infection is. So measles is super infectious, super transmissible. So that's why you need 95% protection. For flu, if we even had 50% of the population vaccinated, you would significantly reduce flu transmission. If we can get up to 75%, that would almost wipe it out because flu on average transmits to about two people from every person who is infected. So it's not just that, you know, we need to have that high vaccination rate to protect everybody, but even having lower vaccination rates that aren't perfect will protect more people because when flu hits a vaccinated person, you know, if they're efficiently vaccinated, um, effectively vaccinated, that flu virus won't replicate in them. And that means they stopped that chain of transmission. So not only will it protect them, but it protects you know their family and, and others because you won't bring it home and you won't expose more people. So that's the idea of, of herd immunity is that it's, it's not perfect. You can still have you know occasional infections even in highly vaccinated populations. It's rare, but it can happen. But it reduces the chances of those infections spreading. And so that's why we're so concerned about it from a public health point of view is because it not only protects the people who are vaccinated, but it also protects those around them who either choose not to be vaccinated or who are unable to be vaccinated because of various health conditions. All right. Um, One of the things, I guess one of the other things, again, we were talking about before uh, the show, and and it's sort of a, a pet peeve with me, is that you know people downplay a lot of these vaccine preventable diseases like measles and whooping cough and they, they I hear all the time like well I had measles when I was a kid and I survived uh, mm-hmm. you know I don't want my you know they they would rather risk the disease than the vaccine and so my thought is that maybe they don't understand exactly what measles is and exactly what whooping cough is and why you want to avoid it or why you don't want your kids to have it. And so I was wondering if you could just sort of explain why these these aren't necessarily diseases that we should just ignore or 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 sort of blow off is not that big of a deal. Right. I think most of the time when people are thinking that they look solely at the mortality rate. So they look only at people who have died from this, which um you know for something like measles. Prior to the vaccine, you know there were there were um, somewhere around probably 600 to 1,000 deaths in the United States every year. It wasn't well tracked, so numbers are are all over the map on that. But you know, it was not anything akin to cancer or something like that as far as a cause of death. What they miss 
is that both in the pre-vaccination era, but even today, even today with the measles cases that we've had, for example, in 2019, um, at least 25% of people who catch measles will be hospitalized for it. They'll get some kind of a severe pneumonia or something like that, and they'll need to be hospitalized and to be, you know, on strong antibiotics, perhaps, or even on a ventilator. Um, so we can keep people alive. <laughs> we can we can treat people with these infectious diseases, um, but it comes at a great cost, not only to the patient, you know, physically from from being in the hospital, from being on different kinds of drugs, um, but of course you know, um, monetarily as well. That's, that's a lot of money for, for our hospitals and for our public health system. Um, and there was just, of course, the, the case of uh, the child with tetanus in Oregon this year or this past year, where he was in the hospital for something like, you know, two months. Um, his treatment costs, I mean, somewhere close to a million dollars. And that could have been avoided with a simple, you know, vaccine that cost what twenty bucks or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not just about the deaths; it's about the suffering. It's about the complications. You know, with measles, even those who who survive the initial infection, who seem fine, there's a condition called SSPE or subacute sclerosing panencephalitis that can occur seven to ten years after the infection. So, and that's 100% fatal. Like you get it and there's no cure for it. So all those people that had measles this year and especially those who are under the age of one are susceptible to that for the next decade. And then with measles, we've also seen that it causes a condition called immune amnesia for several years after the infection. So even again, if you're, you know, you get through the infection, you seem okay basically your immune system will be depressed for two to three years, making you more susceptible to flu and to colds and to, you know, diarrheal diseases, anything that is out there circulating. So it's all of these other things that I think people don't think about or aren't aware of, and certainly the anti-vaccine groups don't discuss, um, that go along with these vaccine-preventable diseases that are more than just the deaths from them, but are really all of this this spectrum of suffering that can come along with that, that we try to prevent all of it, not just the deaths, but all of these complications of infections. We, we had, uh, again, we'd mentioned before I started recording, um, I, I have taken, when I was a medic, there was one confirmed case of whooping cough that, that I had taken in. Um, and what that child was going through I mean, it's not something you can get out of your head. I mean, mm -hmm. I would encourage people to, to, you can Google whooping cough and listen, uh, to, to a child who has whooping cough. It, mm -hmm. It's, it, it's absolutely awful. And I cannot imagine thinking that that is better than, mm -hmm. the, than the vaccine. And, uh, especially I think now with, uh, like with newborns, a lot of parents, I know when my kids were born, um, they, they encouraged us to be vaccinated for whooping cough. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we did. Um, but I, I've, I've, I've talked to a couple other people who have, who have recently had kids and, and they didn't understand why, like, why do we have to get vaccinated for whooping cough? And, and it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. it just, there, there was so much, I, I feel like we have gone backwards in right. so many ways. 
And it, and it just... Right. And there was just a, a whooping cough death uh, just reported yesterday uh, for an infant in Minnesota. And, you know, they mentioned that one of the, one of the big things with whooping cough that has changed in the past five years or so, too, is that they now recommend, you know, not only that that those who would be around the infant get vaccinated, but that the mother gets vaccinated during pregnancy, because then that will um, give some passive protection to the baby even after birth, the same rationale behind women, pregnant women getting the flu shot. Um, and in Minnesota, only 44% of pregnant women are getting the whooping cough vaccine during pregnancy. So that's, you know, half of the babies being born are lacking that protection. And, and of course, the first whooping cough shot is not given until two months. So you have that window where babies are super susceptible to whooping cough, and we have a, a something that could help protect them, and half of the women are not getting it. So I, I think we need to do a, a better job of getting that out there and, and helping, you know, expectant parents understand the rationale behind these and how important it is for them to to protect their infant even in utero. The Autism Dad is brought to you by Angel Sense. Did you know that roughly 51% of kids with autism will wander from a place of safety uh, to a body of water, train tracks, uh, busy intersections, and other places of danger? Uh, this is not a sign of bad parenting or a bad child. It's a phenomenon that occurs within the autism community at epidemic levels. And unfortunately, a lot of times it ends in tragedy. The only way that you can truly uh, help increase the odds of a safe recovery is immediate intervention. And AngelSense gives you the tools to do that. Um, we've been using it in my house since early 2019. And I really, really like it. Uh, you have so many options uh, with, with AngelSense. You can track your child back and forth to school. You can set up perimeters uh, and barriers so that you're notified the moment your child enters or leaves a designated area. There's real uh, time tracking. There is two-way voice. There's SOS features. And what's really cool is when you talk to somebody at AngelSense, you're talking to a parent of a child who wanders so they get it. Uh, so if you want more information about AngelSense, visit theautismdad.com forward slash AngelSense. That's theautismdad.com forward slash AngelSense, and you'll be directed for more information. Uh, my, my son had, um, there, were, there was a kid in his class last year that, that had whooping cough. Um, but they didn't know it right away. And, and for probably a week, uh, this kid was in and out of the classroom, uh, coughing and things like that. And so, you know, everybody, I mean, they had to do the whole health department thing and, and, um, you know, my kids had to have uh, prophylactic, um, antibiotics in order to, you know, because there was direct exposure and, and so it is, it is, it is, it is. Frustrating. People don't seem to take this stuff seriously. Um, okay, we had talked about uh, well, we had mentioned sort of the anti-vaxxer movement. What do you think is what, what do you think is behind this um, this this movement or, or this this deluge of, of misinformation? Like, where where is all this coming from? Mm -hmm. So I, I tend to separate it into. Um, and the leaders and those who are affected by it. So the leaders at the top of this are, you know, inarguably profiting off of this. So you have um, some people who are actually, you know, trained physicians, but for whatever reason have decided that uh, leaving their Hippocratic Oath behind and 
uh, frightening patients about vaccines is more you know lucrative than than doing actual medicine practice. So you have people like Joe Merkula. Um, there was just an article about him. He's worth something like $100 million. And he has been a big supporter of an anti-vaccine organization called the National Vaccine Information Center. Um, he's given them several million dollars. So he, you know, he runs his whole business basically selling supplements and vitamins and things like that. And so if he tells people that you don't need vaccines, just take vitamins, just take these supplements, of course, he's making money off of this. But then the arguments that he makes, the rationales he tells people for avoiding vaccines trickle down. So they they are spread through local anti-vaccine groups like we have one here in Ohio. They're spread through you know blogs, through parenting pages. Um, so the arguments that these people at the top use get spread amongst kind of the, just the regular people who either don't understand infectious disease, they fear vaccines, they have a lot of anxiety about them. And the more they're exposed to these anti-vaccine ideas, kind of the more that their views tend to harden. And then they become kind of deeply entrenched in this. And really, for some of them, it becomes almost a personal identity. So luckily, those um, really strong anti-vaccine opponents are, are, are a really small part of the population, according to some surveys, maybe 2%, maybe up to 5 What you have for a lot of people are just people who are confused, who don't know what the truth is. Um, so maybe, you know, again, parents, um, parents who perhaps are, are pregnant for the first time or something like that, um, who, who are trying to figure out what vaccines they need, what vaccines their children need. And there's, you know, they do a Google search and it comes up with a bunch of mess, right? Yeah. So those are the people that, that I try to reach, the people that are uncertain, um, those who are what I call on the fence, um, who, you know, don't really know what to believe about vaccines. And so what we try to get them before they really are targeted by some of these anti-vaccine leaders um, and the misinformation that they spread. Yeah, because I, I think I like that approach because I, th I think there are some people that just cannot be reached. Mm -hmm. and, and rather Absolutely. than waste the resources on people who are never going to listen you know, there are people out there who are genuinely confused. A lot of new parents now, they're inundated with all this negative information and, mm -hmm. and they need help separating fact from fiction. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I, that's, that's, it. I like, I, I like that approach where you, you reach the people who are reachable and, and then mm -hmm. hope for the best with the rest, I guess. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. I mean, there are definitely people that I know their minds are never going to be changed, but, and the only time that I would ever have, you know, kind of a direct discussion with them is just so that people aren't left with the misinformation that, that they spread, you know, just to counteract that, not to change their minds, but to influence anyone who may be, you know, reading or following along. Yeah. And, and it, it just, it, that information just sort of spreads and, mm -hmm, and social media I know is, has been cracking down on a lot of the anti-vaxxer stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. They were moving posts, banning people because they're knowingly spreading misinformation and it's not a freedom of speech thing because there's no freedom of speech on a third party platform. 
mm-hmm. you're responsible for what you say. And, and you know, you wonder how many people are knowingly spreading misinformation or how many people are just so vulnerable and gullible that they, they believe it and they think they're doing a service mm-hmm. to people. Um, okay. So yeah, we already touched on that one. So, so what are your biggest concerns about the current outbreaks of, um, measles and whooping cough and, and things that are vaccine preventable? Yeah, well, measles was really scary, not only because, you know, we, we, of course, saw the most cases we have seen in a generation, but we almost, as the United States, almost lost our status as a country where measles has been eliminated. Um, if you go more than, you know, 52 weeks with an ongoing measles outbreak, you lose that status. And we've seen that lost in um, in the UK and Italy and Brazil and in a number of other countries. And we literally were one week away from that in the United States. And, um, you know, that just that, that shows on a global scale you know, responsibility as a nation. And, um, you know, if if you can control the diseases within your borders, and we almost couldn't. So it's not only, you know, the cases of of individuals, which again, we're, you know, over 1,200 people who are now susceptible to infections for several years, and especially for the younger ones, potentially susceptible to SSPE. But it's also that that kind of confidence in in our public health system to be able to control these, which is concerning to me as you know someone in public health. Um, and then of course, I mean all the vulnerable people, um, you know the 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 children especially who are not being protected by their parents when they choose not to vaccinate, and those around them especially who are vulnerable because they can't be vaccinated, those who are immunocompromised or or infants too young to get their vaccines yet. Um, so, you know, those are the things that I think about. And then this this spread, not only of the diseases themselves, but this whole idea of loss of expertise, loss of confidence in expertise, that, you know, if I'm talking with someone as, you know, someone who has 20 years of experience in this area and, you know, graduate school and running my own lab and publishing 100 scientific papers, and I'm on par with, you know, Joe Schmo, who has no expertise in this area, but people listen to him equally as they do to me, that is concerning to me as an expert in this area, that people are just so susceptible to poor information and so reluctant to listen to experts because of this idea of, you know, experts are elitists or something like that, and everyone's opinion should be equal. That is concerning to me as... as, um, you know, a citizen of a democracy. You you hear, I have heard that it's a conspiracy. It's a population control. It's, um, mm-hmm. you know, big farms and, you know, um, they have all the pediatricians and stuff in their back pockets. And, and the thing is, mm-hmm. is you figure, you like to assume anyways, most parents or all parents love their kids. And mm-hmm. if you are a pediatrician who is willing to, I mean, in theory, you're willing to um, put people at risk to make all of that money that you make when you vaccinate kids, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. They're vaccinating their own kids. I mean, who who would knowingly do something that's going to hurt their own child? You know. Right. And and so if you know when 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 uh, we held off on the MMR for my youngest uh, at first, and that was based on a recommendation of his uh, his pediatrician at Akron Children's Hospital. Because he mm-hmm. had a, an undiagnosed fever disorder, 
And so he was run. It, uh, it's PFAPA is what the acronym is. And, and he would run idiopathic fevers on a cycle for no reason at yeah. all. And he'd break out with mouth sores. His joints would, would, would uh, become red and hot and sore, sort of like rheumatoid arthritis. And mm-hmm. he would run fevers up to 105 for like 12 days for no reason. Oh, wow. And, uh-huh. and they didn't want to introduce something to the mix that, um, that could potentially muddy the water. So, so they held off on, right. on anything that was major until we could get a, a, a grasp on where he was. Uh-huh. And then once we did... He was caught up on all his on all his vaccines, and so like t- to me, th- there may be legitimate medical exemptions for some people, uh-huh. but religious beliefs and opinions and things like that they they shouldn't. I feel like you shouldn't be allowed to claim a religious exemption when your choice is endangering society as a whole, right. and, and that sort of leads me into. Uh, it was in the news, I think, last week or the week before. I think it was Seattle Public Schools, where they mm-hmm. are now mandating vaccines. And they told kids uh, or parents that I think they had to like January 8th or something like that to prove that their children have been vaccinated for everything or they're not allowed back to school. And and so now you have that whole government mandated vaccine and, and people are like up in harms about whatever. But I was wondering, how else are we supposed to address this problem if if people aren't making responsible decisions or making decisions on making decisions that put society as a whole at risk so so i guess right. how how do you feel about the idea of government mandated vaccines and what other options i mean are there right right and you know i i wish i wish we had a society where people would just listen to the science, take it as evidence, use logic, don't be swayed by emotional appeals, and everyone would do that right thing, but we just don't. I mean, emotional stories resonate. There's a lot of scary ones out there, you know, if you comb the internet. So we have a lot of people who are frightened by those and who don't do the right thing by their children. And, you know, the thing is, mandates work. I mean, we've seen that in California where um, they put in a mandate a few years ago, then eliminated religious and philosophical exemptions. They only have medical exemptions in California. And it increased vaccination rates. We see that, I mean, in, in, in states that have long had only medical exemptions, they have very high vaccination rates. I mean, Mississippi you know, their health standards for a lot of other things are pretty poor, but for vaccinations, they're one of the top in the country because they have long had only medical exemptions and no other type of exemptions to vaccination. So we know that mandates work. And, you know, it's the same thing like with, with car seats. I remember when, you know, maybe, uh, gosh, probably 35 years ago or something when, when car seats were first mandated and there were all in seatbelts oh, seat seat too. Yeah. Yeah. Seatbelts. Yep. Um, you know, my, my parents were watching the news and, Oh, this is so stupid. You know, police are going to pull us over for seatbelts. Why, why don't I get a choice on this? But it becomes normalized, you know, as, as, as people get adjusted to that and people think about just getting in the car and buckling up and it becomes second nature, you just do it and you save lives. Um, so the same thing with with mandatory vaccinations, and it's it's you know people 
people describe it also as forced vaccination, which it is yeah. not. No one is coming to your door, knocking down your door and, you know, taking your child by force to be vaccinated. But if you make a choice not to vaccinate, yes, there will be consequences. So, you know, I see that as, as people still have a choice. It may not be a choice that they like. It may not be a choice that is easy or comfortable. But if they feel that strongly that they don't want their child vaccinated, they, they can make that choice. I think what mandates do is it, it kind of pushes people toward overcoming some of the anxiety that they may have about vaccines and knowing that, okay, to get my kid into school, they have to be vaccinated. We're just going to do this and get it over with. And, and so I think it helps to overcome, you know, some of those, those, those fears that parents have. They just know they have to do it and, and it works. I wish there was a better way. I wish there was something else we could do. I wish people just could be educated into changing their minds, but that we know that that really does not work particularly well for, you know, a certain percentage of the population. Well, and, and you know, and I always avoid politics in this thing because I'm very <laughs> opinionated, uh, we'll say. <laughs> um, yes. But when you, when you have the president of the United States saying that he believes vaccines cause autism, mm -hmm. that's really scary. It's really scary. It is. Because... Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, it, it, there, there, it sort of feels like there's a, there's a, a type of human being who gravitates towards that type of person and, and mm -hmm. they seem to be very susceptible to whatever is said, or they're susceptible to conspiracy and they're always sort of, you know, there's some paranoia and, and, uh, and, and and he's really, you know, making statements like that are, are so dangerous. And and like with the Jenny McCarthy thing, when she was on that bandwagon mm -hmm. about vaccines, uh, you know, how many, how many kids were hurt as a result of all of that misinformation? You know, mm -hmm. where would we be right now if, if she didn't have a platform back then? Right. And, and that's, you know, I sort of feel like, I mean, free speech is one thing, but you can't cry fire in a crowded theater, right? I mean, there's consequences mm -hmm. and there should be consequences. You know, I, I don't, it, it's frustrating for me because like I, like I told you, my son has, C, my oldest has CVID and so he has uh, essentially a, a non-functioning immune system on, on his part. Mm -hmm. And so he needs donor antibodies every twice a week in order just to not get sick and be hospitalized. Uh -huh. And, and when, you know, he's my son, he's not anybody else's and I get that. But when when they choose not to do something like vaccinate, they're putting his life at risk, and he has no choice. He can't he can't protect himself. You know, people right. who are dealing with chemo or, or fighting cancer and on chemo, they can't fight that stuff off. People living with HIV or or the the elderly or the very young, they can't fight these things. And 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 we're we're supposed to be a civilized society, an advanced society. And and we're arguing in 2020 over whether vaccines cause autism, and it it just it's it's so frustrating. And I can only imagine it's frustrating for me is is somebody who sort of has an understanding over things. And but I can't imagine how frustrating it is for for someone like you who is an expert in the field, and and people don't recognize they don't recognize it anymore. You know. Yeah. 
I mean, it's 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 hard when you to live in a society like this, a modern society, when not everyone accepts the same set of facts, right? Yeah. I mean, you you can say this guy is is you know yellow or whatever, but um, if it's blue, you've got to accept that. And when we don't, it it becomes very difficult to move forward, and especially with with the concept of policy. So there are other states that are also trying to put in mandates right now, and you have a very small but very dedicated group of people who are hell-bent on opposing those. Um, and you may have seen, you know, like the, the signs they take to all of these protests. Yep. And, you know, they're completely untrue, <laughs> completely untrue. But to go and say, you know, go and, and tell someone a 20-minute spiel about why their sign with 10 words on it is incorrect <laughs> – People just don't listen to that. People don't accept it, and it makes much more of a statement with their, you know, their their signs and their coordinated outfits and things like that than a bunch of scientists just talking science. So yeah. it, it is really hard when when on the one side has kind of charismatic people like you know RFK Jr. and like Del Bigtree and Andrew Wakefield who are very well spoken and and can drum up these fears. And, you know, the other side has the facts, but we don't have the celebrities. So it it is very frustrating to see, you know, kind of the um the charisma <laughs> um that that gets accepted, but the science that does not. That that is you know, um I'm very politically active anymore. And and I never was before all of this stuff started happening recently. And and I, like we live in an absence we're in like a vacuum where facts and science and medicine don't mean anything anymore. And, mm -hmm. and we have alternate facts, right? We've all heard alternate mm -hmm, facts. Right. And, uh, and, and it's like, if, if we don't accept, if we can't have a basic, a baseline standard of what is accepted human knowledge, where do we go? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like we, we, we're just going backwards and then it's chaos. If you can't accept that someone who has spent the bulk of their life studying infectious disease and vaccine and, and all that other stuff, if you can't accept what they're telling us and you're choosing to listen to a Facebook group instead or something like that, I mean, mm -hmm. what hope is there? Mm -hmm. I, it's 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 crazy. And so I guess... In kind of closing things out, like what would you tell parents who are reachable but but are maybe concerned? Because I, I think any responsible parent would hear all of these things and be concerned. It's, you mm -hmm. know, doesn't mean they're not going to do it or they are going to do it. It just means that they're worried because there's all this stuff going around. So what would you advise them to do? Like um, how can they better educate themselves? What types of resources should they tap into? And, you know, just maybe even parent to parent, like how, how, mm -hmm. how do you handle that? Right. Well, one of the things I'm really interested in doing, and um, I am on, well, in theory, I will be on sabbatical next fall, which means I don't teach. Um, I would love to start a program in Ohio, uh, like Oregon has, called Boost Oregon. And so what that is, is basically a program dedicated to educating the public about vaccines. So they hold kind of public sessions where you can go and they'll have um, physicians usually and also sometimes like I think parent mentors. Um, but 
parents or you know parents to be or whoever can go in and ask questions in kind of a non-threatening manner. You know, they they're not going to get yelled at. They're not going to get told they're anti-science or something like that if they just come in with questions. Um, and and so I think that is a great model that I think could be replicated in other places. The problem is, of course, that's still kind of more a little bit more one-to-one. It's not really scaled up. So there are great sites out there. I mean, of course, the CDC has fantastic information on all of these, but some people get this idea that, I don't know, the C- there's a lot of misinformation about what the CDC does with vaccines and you know, conspiracy theories that they profit, which they don't. But, um, but I mean, they have, great, they have great information for people who can be reached that way. Um, for people who like to hear more stories, which are some, you know, some people are much more story oriented. There are places like Voices for Vaccines that talk about people who have gotten vaccine preventable diseases um, and what it, what happened to them or their families. Um, and also talks about people who were hesitant about vaccines and kind of what convinced them to go and get their their kids vaccinated. Uh, there are sites like Families Fighting Flu. Um, again, you know, flu, we think of, a lot of people think of as kind of a mild disease and why should I get vaccinated for it? But it is actually probably our most deadly vaccine preventable diseases as far as the number of people that it kills every year. So that has some stories of, of people who have died from influenza and, you know, how they wish they had been vaccinated. So there are a lot of kind of family and and story-oriented sites like that that also have good scientific information. Um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or CHOP, has um, tons of information on all kinds of vaccines, not only what they do and what the diseases do, but also the ingredients that are in vaccines, which can be scary to some people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, person to person, just ask your pediatrician, you know, talk to them, say, I've, I've heard these rumors about vaccines. I'm concerned about about the ingredients or I'm concerned, um, you know, that kids are getting too many shots or whatever the fear is, talk to your pediatrician, ask them what they recommend um, and, you know, try to develop that relationship with them. They're not going to know that you're scared unless you tell them and just, you know, just going back and just saying, I don't want the shots really doesn't give you a chance to kind of go through that information with someone who only has your child's best interest in, in mind. That's, that is uh, that is excellent advice. I, I would always tell people, you know, they would ask me, you know, you know, they're worried about autism. Do I, I have three kids with autism? And so mm-hmm. they, they assume that my kids weren't vaccinated or, or, or vaccines are what caused it. Actually, mm-hmm. vaccines are what caused it. And, you know, I, I'm like, look, I'm, if, if it were up to me, everybody would be vaccinated. But you need to have that conversation with your pediatrician. That is a mm-hmm. that is a between you and your doctor conversation. You shouldn't be looking at Facebook. You shouldn't be looking at blogs online or or YouTube or or anything like that. Talk to your doctor. And if your doctor is unwilling to talk to you about it, then find another doctor who's willing yeah, to talk absolutely. to you about it. You know, there should be no reason why people should fear asking questions. You know, I mean, yep. if if they're coming from a good place and they're not just trying to drum up whatever. And you have legitimate concerns. Talk to your doctor. I, I've I have never in my life run into a doctor who was not willing to answer honest questions. Um, yep. And 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 you know we have to put our faith in in these people. And I, I will trust my kid's doctor way more than I will ever trust somebody online or right. or you know writing a blog somewhere or on a podcast or or well I mean that's conspiracy related whatever because I don't want to. 
shoot everybody <laughs> in the foot there because there's a lot of good information out there. But, uh. but yeah, so yeah, that, that, that's really good advice. And um, I really do appreciate you uh, taking the time. We had a little uh, tech hookup or a hiccup again because of, because of zoom. Um, uh, but I do, I do appreciate you, you taking the time to do this. And and if you, if you are pursuing that, um, program and, and there's anything that I can do to help, I would love to be involved. Um, that that's such a, a positive thing. And, um, I, you know, I, I would help in any way that I can. So great. You, I will definitely have, keep you posted. You have my support and I appreciate your time. I'll have, um, uh, all of Dr. Smith's uh, information in the show notes below and uh, you guys can check out her website and um, you know, read some of her, her papers. Cause I, I read some of those and they're very interesting. So uh, again, I, I hope you have a, a great weekend and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Before we go today, I just wanted to take uh, a quick minute and thank Dr. Smith for coming on the show and sharing her expertise uh, about vaccines and vaccine-preventable diseases and infectious disease. You know, the facts matter, guys. We live in a time where where facts and science and medicine aren't believed anymore, and and that's I don't know I don't know how I don't know how how we exist in a world where facts um, don't matter. And the facts are that vaccines are overwhelmingly safe and that they save lives. The facts are that measles and whooping cough are horrible diseases that are preventable. And, um, you know, the, the, the fact is that there are a lot of people out there who are spreading misinformation on purpose. There are people who are profiting uh, from this misinformation and from this anti-vaxxer movement. And, and it's really important that, that you know the facts um, you know, someone like Dr. Smith, who has devoted her life to becoming an expert in this field and, and learning about these uh, viruses and diseases and pathogens and, um, you know, how to manage it and, and you know, vaccinations and, and things like that. They know what they're talking about. This, this is science. This is medicine. This is fact. And, and we need to pay attention because, uh, you know, outbreaks of measles, Epidemics of measles and whooping cough is is just not something that we need to have come back. So so I really appreciate um, Dr. Smith coming on and talking to us about this. I hope that that if you are someone who is out there and you are undecided or maybe you are confused or frightened and you're looking for information, these are the facts. Um, don't go to Facebook or Twitter or social media or, or, you know, dark web blogs or something like that. A lot of it is conspiracy theory. Go to respectable sites, talk to people like Dr. Smith, um, you know, people, people who are educated in this field, who are experts at what they do. Uh, it, it's just important that you guys base your decisions on whether to vaccinate or not based on facts and not fiction. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about this, Dr. Smith. Uh, I know you're very busy um, and your expertise is very much uh, appreciated. So you can find her at TerraCSmith.com. I'll have that link in the description below. Uh, you can find me at TheAutismDad.com. Uh, my social links are at the top of the page. Um, you can help support this podcast uh, by clicking the link in the description that says support this podcast. I really appreciate that. It helps me to kind of keep things going, keep the lights on. 
And uh, you can subscribe to the podcast via whatever app you want to use. Just look up the Autism Dad podcast, hit subscribe. I really appreciate that, guys. Uh, Hope you have a great weekend and I will talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strength and connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.